0: Hey everyone and welcome back to the m M&M m Hockey Podcast as always I'm your host Alex Metzger along with me is my co-host Chase McCallum and uh, just in advance today sorry if you hear a couple noises uh, the basement is being redone by my dad right now and uh, that is usually where I record so I am upstairs right now hoping to avoid the noise but uh, there might be a couple thuds and uh, I apologize in advance if you can hear them but hopefully we can get through this without any any issues uh, Big week of stuff to talk about this, uh, this week. Um, as we almost predicted, really, uh, the pure Luke Dubois trade happened literally probably hours after we finished recording, 12 hours after we finished recording, you know, um, it happened either that night or the next morning. And, uh, so yeah, we get to break down the return. It was, um, kind of a fit that seemed obvious every once like to, to everyone, but we weren't really sure if it was going to get done just because we weren't sure if line a really wanted out or whatever, but, uh, if anyone hasn't heard, Pierre Lou Dubois goes to the Winnipeg Jets in return and with a I believe it was a, a third round pick or something. I think a third. And in return, uh Patrick Line and Jack Roslovic come back. Uh Roslevic signs a deal that pays him $1.8 million uh for two years on average. Um, so or sorry, 1.3 I believe. Um uh I don't know why. Oh, it's sorry. <laughs> This is my bad. It's a it's a different AAV because he signed it halfway through the year. I was wondering this year it's a two mil AAV and next year it's a one point eight, so roughly two million dollars. Um, a big trade. This is probably the biggest we've seen in a long time. Hey eh, Chase,
1: yeah, like two young star ish players at least. Close. I what?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say that Line is definitely a star, and Pierre Luc Dubois is reaching that standpoint. He's probably a little below it just in terms of how many people knew him really before the playoffs last year. But at the same time, he's still, uh, you know, a really good player that uh, I think is pretty recognizable. And then um, a third, the minor piece in Jack Roslovic, who I think the, the Blue Jackets will really like too, even if his results haven't been
1: great. Yeah, he's like the perfect kind of like high upside because there were some pretty strong priors on him it's obviously highly unlikely he ever reaches like his draft year potential or whatever, but there's, there's at least been like positive signs in his past, if nothing else.
0: Yeah, exactly. But I mean, so we'll get into the main part of this trade, Uh one way Pierre Luc Dubois and and a pick goes, um, uh, you know, we'll start with that, um, Winnipeg side. Um, you know, Lina had said, you know, he kind of wanted out for a better part of a year. And then we thought maybe something would happen this off season. It didn't. And when he got to camp, he said, I'm here, aren't I? And, uh, to his credit, he looked really good in the only game he got to play before he got a minor injury this year. But, um, um, you know, in Winnipeg, I, I think it's a risk and reward factor. You're getting what you know is a 22-year-old 1C. You know, I think we talked about this last week where he's probably around the, the 25th-ish area for for centerman. So he's a fringe 1C, but at 22 years old, there's still definitely definitely room to take another step up, you know. Um, I, I think that you you get certainty in what he is, like – I don't really see Pierre-Luc Dubois being a uh, a two or three C in the next couple of years, but uh, you also give up a lot of potential in Patrick Line, right? So
1: yeah, it's I tweeted this out where it's like I think the Winnipeg Jets win this trade like more often than they lose it if you're to repeat it an infinite amount of times. It's just that the times for Line actually hits a ceiling, it makes them look really stupid.
0: Yeah, I, I think that it's a big, um, yeah, like if you want to say, if you if you did this uh, trade 100 times and you said uh, Winnipeg wins it, say 70% of the time, or no, 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 let's not go ahead. Let's say 50% of the time, they tie 20% of the time, and win it, and uh, Columbus wins at 30. The 30% is going to be so much more aggressive, I think, than when the... Um, um, uh, Winnipeg Jets winning you know because like uh having a don't get me wrong again having a 1c could prove invaluable but especially with a, a Winnipeg team that it's not really clear what they're doing going forward they're, their core is sneaky old or getting sneaky older you know Blake Wheeler's 34 uh even a young guy Mark Shifley he's 27 I want to say already so they're getting up there in age but um you know when Lina if Lina really hits and he becomes that 50 or God forbid even 60 goal scored like some people thought he could be in his draft year. Um, You know, that's going to look like a huge win for
1: Columbus. Yeah, exactly. Now, admittedly, I'd be really skeptical that like Max Domi and company are the team that get Lion full potential out of them.
0: Yeah. It's a weird fit. And also just like the thing with Columbus that they're, they're playing the, I mean, Winnipeg does here too, um, is that, you know, both these guys have two years left on their deal and, um, if either one of these jump town in two years, it's going to be a massive win for the other team, just on the basis that they managed to keep their player. You know, like, but I, it's it's a strange fit for me, just in terms of it's a fit because they need goal scoring and everything, right? But um, where it's not a fit sometimes, I think is just like. Is uh Patrick Line, or sorry, and he's only got this year left. He's an RFA, but I think he's got two more years until RFA, or until he's not an RFA, right? So he's got a, he's got a couple more years left. But if he plays his three years or whatever in Columbus and says, I don't like it here, I want out, um, like what are you gonna do? And you know, torts isn't exactly the easiest guy to coach just offensive players.
1: Yeah, it kind of seems like a match made in hell between the coach and player there. Like I obviously there aren't like this match was too logical, for like Linea wants out, Dubois wants out at the same time, flip them for each other. But like long term, I don't really see Linea and Columbus being like a great marriage either.
0: No, me either. And um, if we want to flip the other way too, like I find it a little bit ironic that. Uh it sounded like Pierre-Luc Dubois's biggest reason for wanting out was um, a bigger stage, and he got Winnipeg out of all of them, you know. Um, granted, it still is a bigger stage than, you know, in Canada, it's still a much bigger stage than uh, uh, Columbus would be. You know, if he, if he walks down the street to Winnipeg, I can guarantee people will know his face where you walk down streets in Ohio and people are not going to notice you, right? So I, I kind of get it. But at the same time, like, I think Winnipeg also runs the same risk of, of him wanting out, but at least they have better players around him too. Like he's going to get to play with Kyle Connor and Nikolai Ehlers and, um, you know, behind Mark Shifley. And that's why I think this is a good, good enough fit for him right now is they have a couple of really good wingers right now. Blake Wheeler struggled again this year. They, they really need him to find his game. But, um, in terms of actual players that they have, you know, like, uh, with Pierre-Luc Dubois, they can play him with a couple, like if it's a Nikolai Ehlers, for example, and he can play a 2C. He doesn't need to be the 1C that someone like Kyle Turris was in Ottawa for so many years. He can play comfortably behind and, and feast off of other matchups
1: yeah exactly because as much as I like Bjorkstrand or whatever like if you can play on that second line with Ehlers and say Perot or something like that like you're laughing compared to what he was doing in Columbus
0: yeah exactly and I mean um uh, I was listening to uh Paul Maurice talk on overdrive and it's funny because I don't know if there's a bigger gap between people I like coaches I actually do like listening to and hate just everything they do on ice it feels like but um Paul Maurice is a guy that uh, I always love his interviews because he actually shares stuff. He, he shares what he's thinking. He shares what he's going through or, you know, when, when he's looking at stuff, what he, what he's looking for. Right. And I like that. And I don't know, one of the things that he was pointing out was um, that he likes to use Adam Lowry as a shutdown guy. And this is going to allow one of Pierre Luc Dubois or Shifley to feast on third line matchups. And I think that's an interesting way of looking at it, but Lowry's numbers need to bounce back to where they were two and even three years, especially three years ago versus last year, last year, he was atrocious everywhere, but um, you know, the past, the couple years before that, he was a legitimately good uh, defensive centerman who just couldn't do much
1: offensively. Yeah. He looked at least in the past, perfect for that role. Last year was kind of, Dicey, so the problem with betting on defense, right, is you're betting on like the noisiest part of hockey,
0: yeah. And I mean, this year we have the RAPM charts out for 76 minutes, which again, you just can't put too much stock into. And he's been average, he's been okay, but you know, that he was one on talking about that, and what he was saying kind of made sense to me. And just you know, I don't know if it makes sense from a uh, I totally agree with the player usage if, if what last year we saw last year is going to keep up, but. Um, If you can have someone like Adam Lowry take, you know, a shutdown role and be effective in that way, um, you know, they're really, I think they'll probably move someone like Paul Statsny to the wings, right? Because you got a bunch of centermen, like Paul Statsny can't be playing fourth line center for you on this team. So, um, you know, then you can really let, you know, Wheeler, Shifley, Connor, Statsny, Ehlers, and Dubois, or Perot, you know, if he needs to jump up there, you you got six or seven guys on the, on the top six there that could be really effective, especially if one of the lines don't need to take big matchups.
1: Yeah, exactly. I I do like using guys in that sort of like cadre role where you use maybe your third most skilled center to in the shutdown role. I don't know if Lowry will be good enough to do that this year, but I like it in theory at least.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I, I think there's a fit there and hell, even like, if you get Paul Stastny in that third line role, I, I don't know if he would be the most ideal fit for it, but at least you know if you have Paul Stastny on your third line, uh, he's gonna. I think he should be winning that matchup. He's not great defensively, but he's really good. Uh, um, you know, he's not like amazing defensively, but he's not bad either, right? Like he's he's put up some some decent numbers. Some um, you know, but he's just kind of good around the board. So if you have Paul Stastny still playing third line minutes, I think you're you're probably winning that matchup more often than you're not.
1: Yeah, hundred percent because he's. He's obviously declining as he's getting older, but he's still not like a defensive train wreck or anything.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or if you want to move him out of the wings, I think he would be a solid adjustment on the wings there too. So, um, you know, the more I talk about it, the more I do like it from the Winnipeg aspect. It's just, you know, being able to keep the players around. Um, It'll be interesting to see if both of these teams can convince uh, their guys to sign long-term when it it comes time to it, or if they're going to – you know, I I know um, uh, Dmitry Filipovich had – I forget who it was on the PDO cast, but they were talking about this deal from from Columbus' side, and it sounds was like it, you know Lion-A's, pl- pardon
1: was it Alouga?
0: I uh, there was two people, and it was the guy. But I uh, I apologize. I can look it up real here real quick while I talk. But um, he was pretty much saying that it sounds like uh, Lion-A's plan will still be eventually to to test free agency, which would worry me a little bit if I'm Columbus. You know, if if in three years or whatever it is, you end up losing him, I, I think that's that's not awesome.
1: No, that looks really bad, especially because yeah. it's not like the Blue Jackets look like they're ready to do anything right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're just kind of like a fringe-ish playoff team. It, it was Allison Lucan, but the guy who brought it up was uh, Marat uh, Blue... writer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he's from Winnipeg. So I, I apologize if I'm butchering that name. I feel like I am, but it was, it's a real, I mean, I'm mean, i halfway through. It's a really good prog- podcast so far, but yeah, he was still saying that it, it kind of sounds like uh um you know line's plans might be to just keep trying out free agency or whatever and, and um you know i, I don't know like I, that's good kind of worries me from a columbus standpoint because as you said like like what what does columbus do right now because they have a team where i feel like they feel like they're all right you know they i think they probably think oh with all the injuries last year they still made it into the playoffs i don't love their team and i what i what's even more is i think the casual fan would still say Even if you don't love their team, they still have a really good one two on the back end and some pieces, but I don't really love Seth Jones near as much as everyone else does. And he's already twenty-six. So like what what what's the plan here? Because it feels like they're just kind of one of those teams like the Minnesota Wild are or were
1: that is just like due to be stuck in neutral forever. I was just about to say like they're the wild of the East now, because like they're just competent enough that they should be in the playoff hunt somewhere around there, but nobody sees them as a threat
0: yeah and like they just they have too much talent on the team to truly tank i think unless you know and even their goaltending like their goaltenders are both pretty solid like i don't know if any either of them like i want to see more of an elvis but i don't know if either of them are good enough to like steal a ton of games but they're both, well i mean sorry I shouldn't, any goaltender can steal a bunch of games. We saw Korpisalo do it in the bubble, but I mean, over the course of like a a 40 game span, you know, but like, it's just, there's too much talent on this team to truly tank, but I don't think they're good enough to really be more than a team that, you know, maybe has an upset in round one, maybe, maybe makes a, a nice run to the conference finals. Like, you know, the Islanders did last year or the Sens did in 2017, but this is not a perennial cup threat. That's for sure.
1: No, this is the exact kind of team like you take over in Chell and you just blow it up because they're just not quite good enough to do anything. So you go for the next generation, but that's, nobody would ever even consider doing that in real life, which leaves you just a no land.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, so I think if they really want to take the next step forward, they're going to need like Alexander Texier, Liam Foodie, and honestly, probably someone like Jack Roslovic, all to all to step up in major ways, you know, take a really big step forward so they're all top six forwards because – then you at least have probably six or seven, you know, maybe even eight with you know strands there as well. Um, you know, you, you have at least a decent top six, top nine there if you get a couple guys stepping forward. And then your forward depth looking pretty good. But they're just kind of whatever on all aspects of the of the ice right now, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, they're just like fine all around. Like they have two decent goalies, they're yeah, are like just enough competent forwards, kind of thing. They're just. Meh.
0: Yeah, and they have uh, Emil Bem- Bemstrom as well on the taxi squad, but you know they really need just some high-end talent, I think, in this lineup. Because you know, if you have a forward core of Cam Atkinson, Max Domi, uh, you know, Oliver Bjorkstrand, Boone Jenner, uh, um, Jack, if Jack Roslovic can take a step up, and then obviously Patrick Laine, and if Texier and Foodie can even become top nine guys, you know, then you got Miku Koivu. You you have some names there where it's like. It, there's enough to build around, but you got to find a couple more pieces here. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. I think it would be huge for them for Bjorkstrand to like pop off the page.
0: Yes. Like they need, because like, I really don't hate their day. It's just a whole bunch of guys who are just very mad. Like, just like good, good. You know, like even on the back end, the problem is I don't think Seth Jones is as good as people say is I would say he's closer to, Low end number one, you know, maybe even high two. But if you want to, let, let's say, just so we don't get absolutely screened at, he's in what, the 20s maybe for defensemen?
1: Yeah, like even if you put him there. Like the 20th best defenseman isn't exactly like a cornerstone build your team.
0: Yeah, right. and then Wierenski's in the 30s probably. And I'd say Savard, we haven't seen enough out of Gavrikov. He could be an okay 3-4. Savard's probably a 4 and then you got like Harrington and Kukin on your bottom pair. That's not horrible, but again, it's like, it's just a bunch of guys where it's like there's, and, and that's why they can cause trouble to teams like Toronto, where you can win a round or two with just not having too many holes on your team, but eventually you need a difference maker. And um, you know, they really need someone along with line A to step up and be that, I think.
1: Yeah, exactly. That would be freaking huge for them. But like I said, I like, it's weird to me, the phrasing of this trade, because Columbus got the player who's been worse and is actually older. And yet a lot of people just frame it as like a slam dunk win for them.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like people are still just so tantalized with his potential. Like, um, um, you know, And I, I feel like some people are saying, Oh, he'll turn into more of a two-way player with torts. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's the best thing for him, but um, I don't know. Like I, I feel the, the, the narrative around line a, has always just been like, well, one of these years he's going to put it together. And I will say, two disappointing quote-unquote years where he had 30 and 31 goals, I think it was. He was on pace for 35 or 36 last year in an 82-game season. As a 21-year-old or whatever, yeah, that is still pretty impressive. That being said, there's only going to be a couple more years before we get to the point where it's like, okay, this is what he is now, right? Like, he still has a little bit of growing to do, but, you know, it, it felt like it was just even two or three, two years ago, like heading into two seasons ago, people would have been like, oh, the race between him and Matthews is still too close to tell. It's not too close to tell right now, unless you have your head in a, in the sand, right? Matthews is a, a top five center, probably a top 10 player in the league easily. And Patrick Laine, some, some days doesn't even look like a, a top 30
1: winger. So... Yeah, because the problem with Line is like, he's at this moment, at least, he's so bad at every other part of the game, that you basically need him to be one of, if not the best shooters in the history of hockey for him to be like half as effective as everybody's projecting him to be. And it's really, really hard to be one of the best of all time at something. Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah, that goes without saying, you know, and like, even last year's quote unquote, better defensive results were still not good. Like, they were – he was still well below average in anything defensively. So, um, yeah, he, he's one of those guys where it's, like, great. But, like, he's just, even just in 2018-19, which is kind of inefficient doing everything. So, like, I don't know. We, he really needs to be someone who can just score reliably. And because, and you know, even in peak over years, he was still – the reason Ovi was still a top-five player in the league was because, yes, his defensive flaws were there, but he was scoring 50 in an era where everyone else scored 32 goals, you know, like – he was almost, yeah. you know, like he was getting 15 more goals than the next closest person in, in the year, right? Like it was just, it was absolutely the same way he's doing. Patrick Lina isn't even the top goal scorer on his team, I don't think, most years. Like I, I think Kyle Connor had more than him last year, if
1: I remember correctly. I think so. And when Ovi was doing it, he was just like a freight train in the offensive zone. So at least he drove offense. So that his like, even his play driving numbers were still good in his peak. Whereas Lina has not even come close to approaching that literally all he has relied on thus far is his shot. Yeah, exactly.
0: And I mean, like that gets you only so far, but you know, it needs to take you a step farther. So it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of be a fit in Columbus. You know, I don't hate, you know, for as much as I just kind of trash talk their team and about where they're going, I don't hate the roster, you know, the more I look at it, the more I go, it's fine. You know, it's not bad. it's, it's one that should be competing in, you know, for one of those wildcard spots, I think every single year. And I just, I don't think that's a great spot to be in the NHL. I think, you know, you should really want to be one way or the other. And I mean, as I say it, they're in first in their division, but it's also because most of their division has played four, four or fewer games because of COVID, you know, the stars are four and zero right now. They're up to a hot start. The Panthers are three Oh and one. Uh, the the Lightning are three one and one, and the Hurricanes are three one and zero. Oh. So I would argue it's probably four, three of the four best teams that haven't been able to play games, and then the Panthers slash Predators are four slash five with the Jackets, and you know there's still teams that are just a point or two behind them. So um they'll be in the race, but I just I don't know. They're 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 okay, but. Uh, three two and three is pretty much the uh, the record i see them having just kind of through the year you know they're l- gonna lose more games than they win but they're a good enough team to kind of drag it to overtime and get that loser point
1: yeah exactly like they're they're the perfect team for that <laughs> to just get unlimited loser points because they're competitive enough they can kind of drag it out as far as it needs to go like that yeah, is where, the perfect spot for
0: them exactly where it's like in any other sport, like if this was basketball, you know, they're probably finishing the season either 500 or a little, or probably below 500. You know, same with baseball. They, if you go in extra innings or overtime in, in either of those two sports, you don't get anything extra. Um, but instead, they're gonna be, you know, I don't know, 20, 25 or 27. Uh, 17 and whatever the loser points for that are, you know, like they're going to have like 10 or 11 loser points probably. And that'll get, that'll keep them right in the playoff race, which is stupid, but that's exactly what the league wants. So.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it seems like what the blue jackets want too.
0: Yeah. I mean, like we've seen a ton of uh, extra overtime losses this year, you know Um, there's still a couple teams that haven't lost in regulation, Montreal being one of them, Washington being another five Oh and two and five Oh and three. Um, uh, you know, I, in the, the North division, there hasn't been many overtime losses. It, there's only been four, but, um, you know, in the West, there's been seven already in the East, there's been three, six, eight, nine, ten 10 already. And in the central where they have barely played any games, there's been nine out of like, I don't want to do the math of how many games, but that's a pretty high percentage of games going to overtime right now.
1: Yeah, that does that'll be something to monitor going forward because that does seem really aggressive early in the year.
0: Especially because like usually it's like blowouts one way or the other, you know, because teams are still getting their feet underneath them. But um I don't know. There's some some teams that clearly seem to be locking it down or just playing both back and forth so that they're they're forcing overtime.
1: Yeah, maybe there's something to everybody conserving energy because there's they know this season's gonna be so many, like three games and five nights or four games and seven nights kind of thing
0: and yeah, yeah i agree um the only other little thing i want to talk about quick here uh with the, the Winnipeg trade is uh what, what's your take on Jack Roslovic? do you think he do you think there's a spot where he can become even like a, a second or third line player that's effective because you know in winnipeg he had all the potential and um you know he got mad he didn't get much ice time but he just he really didn't deserve that ice time in in 2018, 19 he was okay defensively bad offensively and in 1920 he was just kind of not good everywhere, you know, like, so.
1: Yeah. Guys who have his kind of success in the AHL often, often do really well, but at some point, if you see him just kind of be mediocre in the NHL for long enough, it's probably just what he is. Right. Yeah.
0: I mean, I I don't think, you know, people keep saying he's a sneaky piece or whatever. Uh, I don't know if I go that far, but Hey, you know, he kind of, I don't, I don't know much about Jack Lasovic in terms of obviously the person, but, just his on ice results kind of kinda of signaled a guy to me who I could see him slipping into tort system and becoming a a nice third line like defensive centerman or whatever.
1: Yeah, and like there's clearly some skill there. It wouldn't shock me if in an increased role with like better quality of teammates, his numbers look a little bit better. Cause not like he was a train wreck in Winnipeg either. He was just kind of
0: He just wasn't very good. But yeah, he wasn't atrocious by any means either. You know, he just he wasn't he I don't think he justified top six minutes and that that's what he especially not on that team with those center or wingermen and and that's what he wanted. But I, I think you know he we could see that in Columbus, you know. Um if he if
1: pl- nothing else to get a shot, or he probably should anyways.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like if he if he plays the center and you have Bjork Tran on his wing with uh Line A on the other side, you know, that's not a bad combo. Or Line A and Atkinson, like, they have a bunch of guys who seem to be playing dual-handedness, sorry. Um, You know, uh, Foligno, I don't know. Like, you can get guys on his wing where it's like, it's probably just better than what he was playing with in the bottom six of Winnipeg for a couple years.
1: Yeah, it's hard not to improve on that.
0: All right, well, I mean, that's our our take on the trade. Uh, You know, I, I think there's potential for both sides. I would say Winnipeg... The, the way you described it earlier is the best way to put it. I think Winnipeg wins the trade more often, but the, the times that Columbus does win, I think they win big. Yeah, agreed. agree. So we'll have to see where it goes, and we'll keep an eye on it. The other – there was another massive news story, story this week, and that would be the Pittsburgh Penguins GM, Jim Rutherford, uh, stepping down. We were all worried when it came out that it might be health-related. He made sure to let everyone know very quickly it was not and that he didn't like where the team was going. Uh, the latest rumor I saw was that he was working on a Chris Latang trade and ownership stepped in and said, no, you're not allowed doing that. And that kind of caused some friction. But by all accounts, everyone in Pittsburgh was shocked that he stepped down. It came out of nowhere. The ownership was surprised. Um, what a mean offseason to leave on. You know, you, you, you pick up Mike Maths and kind of not gut the team, but it looks a lot worse now than it did a year or two ago and just say, all right, never mind, I'm out.
1: Like he took over like a mansion through a nice party and then trashed the house and left saying, I don't like that. The house is dirty. Yeah. I mean, like, (laughs)
0: I I don't think it can be understated how much he did to, to um, push the, the pens back into relevance and cup contention. Like people forget when he came in, they were on like five straight years of just, Goaltending either costing them, or they had no depth to play around. Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. He came in. He, he picked up Patrick Hornquist, uh, You know Brian Dumoulin. Um, you know he made a couple other. You know just really really savvy moves that that put them over. Uh, Phil Kessel is another one. Uh, the Kessel Haglin bonino line, obviously, um, and, and they won back to back cups. I, I don't think that can be understated of how much he helped. But uh, the, the past couple
1: of years has been ugly. Yeah, because when he took over, he did so many great things. And I feel like his legacy is super complicated because of how, like, he's, like, actively sewered them ever since.
0: Yeah, it's like, and it's weird because it was kind of like, I don't know, I I feel like his previous stint like that, he he was in Carolina for a while, too. And it kind of got to the same where it was just like at the end is, but it, it wasn't so quick. And it's, uh, it's one of those things where it's so weird to, to look at because even bringing in Mike Sullivan was just like such a crucial move. And, and now it's just like, they won back-to-back cups and, and Rutherford just kind of lost his mind where he was like, no, we need to worry about Tom Wilson. It's like, why? You've put him out twice in a row in the playoffs. Like you don't need to worry about Tom Wilson, but uh, he went and picked up, uh, you know, Ryan Reeves and dumped him, Jack Johnson and uh, um uh, why, who am I blanking on here? Uh, good Branson. He was on that team for a while, right?
1: Yes, Um, he was.
0: Yeah. Uh, like he, he just went and, you know, this year Cody CC and the Mike Matheson trade makes absolutely no sense still to me. Um, you know, he just, he, he picked up a bunch of not good guys and I'll admit that I I do. I I can see him getting a job and I I think he probably, if he wants to go somewhere else might, you know, can, can, deserves more than others another opportunity just because um he's shown that he knows what he's doing but also the, the one thing i did admire is that he uh he admitted his mistakes and got out of stuff quicker than anyone else and granted it would be much better if he just didn't make those mistakes in the first place you know but uh it's it's better to do that than yeah and treat them as a sunk cost than what we see so many NHL GMs do and go, no, no, we, we got to make this work. You
1: know, no, Rasmus, Rasmus Ristolainen is actually a number one defenseman.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like it's, he, so I don't know. I, I feel so different. And just like, I, I there's just so two different ways to look at it, right? Like you look at the one way where it was a crucial to two, you know, back-to-back cups. And I, I really thought that team was primed to, you know, compete for a couple more. And then you look at the other way, the past two or three years have been a mess. And, you know, it's good that he he tries to fix his mistakes, but um, he just keeps making a lot of the same mistakes over and over again. So at some point you got to say, okay, how well are you really even trying to fix these?
1: Yeah. He's a, he's a very complicated GM to analyze. Cause even like last year, like given where the penguins are at, we thought like the Zucker trade was fantastic but then it's overshadowed by like other stupid off season moves too.
0: Yeah. And then this year he goes out and he, uh they don't have their first rounder for 2021 because they decide to keep it not to take a pick and restock the cupboards, but to go pick up Kasperi Kapanen for a first round pick and a prospect in a deal that looks like one of the most lopsided ones of the off season. Even if Kapanen is good on the, in the top six with them, you know, like, um, and he's had uh uh, three points in five games so far. So it's not even like he's been bad. But, uh, and so now he's left this team with, you know, an aging core. You have Crosby and Malkin, who's 34 and 33, or 33 and 34. Malkin's got two years left. Crosby's got five. So one after this year and four after this year. Uh, you have Chris Letang on the back end. Tristan Jari has been an absolute freaking mess this year. And you don't have your first, your third, your fourth, or your sixth round pick. You have your second, your fifth, and three sevenths this year to work with. How, how appetizing is this job to if, if you were a potential
1: GM? I would say not at all because you're basically getting the down years of the Penguins. Like watching Malkin in this, like the Penguins could still win the cup this year, but you're not going to get credit for that. Basically, the only cup wins you could ever get credit for are far enough down the line that the Penguins are not going to be winning the Cup at that point.
0: See, I think if the GM came in and made enough significant moves over the next year or so, where if they won this year or next year, they would still probably get credit with it. If you just leave this lineup as it is, obviously no. But I also I don't think this lineup's winning a Cup as it is. If I'm being completely honest, you know, like I like some of the pieces, but you know, on the back end, you have Latang, Dumoulin, Marino, and then. You kind of run into a wall real quick. You really need Pierre Oliver Joseph to be something, or like, you know, because Marcus Pedersen, he's all right, but he's a five. Michael Matheson's not very good, and is there for a very long time. Cody Cece's butt, um, you know, like they just and they have no depth is the issue either. You know, it's it's great to be working around Malkin and Crosby, but you know, you got Malkin, Crosby, Gensel, Zucker, uh, Capenin and Rust, I guess, as your top six, and then it goes like. Brandon Tanev, Jared McCann, Colton Sevoir, Drew O'Connor, Teddy Bluger, Sam Lafferty, and Mark Jankowski. Like, it gets ugly really quick. So, and in net, like, Tristan Jari has been just brutal.
1: Yeah, I would say the goaltending and forward depth is a big problem because at least just, like, Latang, Dumoulin, Marino, Pedersen is, like, a fine enough top four when you have stud forwards. But you need goaltending, and Jari does not look like that, at least right now. And you still like we saw Jim Rutherford turn the Penguins around the first time because he gave them depth scoring, and he left them with absolutely none of that.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so that's going to be the biggest thing. And I've heard, you know I was listening to people, and I think it was Waschinsky who said that. Um, uh, people around the league still do find it. You know, the, the, there's obviously a bunch of names that are interested and in, because in, there's only 31, soon to be 32 GM jobs available, right? Um, it's not like you can just sit on these forever. So obviously you're always going to have guys available. But if you had to pick and choose throughout the league, I, I don't think this one would be near as attractive as, a, attractive as it would have been even two years ago. And just like, um, you know, there, there's a lot of work to do here. And so it really feels like, you know, if you're stepping into this you're going to be the uh, the the GM of the penguins as they are bad for four or five or begin to become bad for four or five years you're going to get fired right like so you got to be careful if you're stepping into a, what you're expecting
1: Yeah and you're pretty hesitant or pretty reliant I mean on the way Crosby and Malkin age because if Crosby and Malkin age super well I don't think it would be difficult to have like a San Jose Sharks sort of Reminiscent run where you're running at it again when they're like 37. But that was with Joe Thornton playing like a legitimate first line all star at 37. And as good as Crosby and Malkin are, people with that many injuries usually aren't that good by 37.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just any players at a risk it. You know, I, I think we're already starting to see Crosby not like drop off significantly, but take a step back, right? Where he's not, you know, I think some people would have him in the top three kind of ranking still. But I don't know if he belongs there in terms of all players in the league, right? Like, he's still obviously a very, very, very good center, but, like, is he better than McDavid and McKinnon? No, probably not. Is he better than Matthews? Like, I don't know. It's close, but, you know, like, he's one of those guys where I think he's starting to fall to 10th best or whatever, you know, in the league.
1: Yeah, he's starting to look human. Basically. Yeah, and I mean
0: like that's not a slant on him. Like the dude's 33 years old and still the 10th best hockey player in the league. That like that that should be a compliment to anyone. It's just he's been so good for so long that it's like, you know, even just a little bit of a step back looks weird to see.
1: Yeah, exactly. When he's been the best player for like 13 years or whatever, just seeing him at like 9 is strange. Yeah,
0: exactly. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Um if you're the GM of this team and you step in, like if you have the green light to do whatever you want now, I, I don't know if that's true because if they're stopping a Letang trade, odds are they're not going to be happy trading Malkin either. But like if you're a GM and you step in, do you, do you look at like blowing things up to a certain degree and trying to trade Malkin? Cause
1: I, I think you should, you would still get a haul for Evgeny Malkin, right? I would think so. He was Freaking amazing last season, although it might be tough to trade him right now because he's been like impressively bad thus far.
0: Yeah, but I, I think that it would be easy enough to sell a decade of dominance versus nine games of struggling, you know?
1: Yeah, just be like.
0: To any you. anyway. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, yeah, and you just hope that because I, I think it's gone under the radar a little bit just about how bad he's been, but he's already provided minus 2.4 goals above replacement this year. Like, that's rough. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't. I just I'm curious to see what the next regime kind of does. You know, like the AGM who got promoted to temporary GM said we're still in a win now mode. Which I guess, like you know, and until Malkin and Crosby show they're really not first line centers anymore, you kind of have to be in a
1: win in a win now mode, right? Yep, and they've got full no moves. Like you basically don't have a choice. You don't have your own first round pick. Joe tang with a no move, I think, like it's, it's yeah. not really enough.
0: No. I mean, I could see what happened, what happened to uh, Chicago a couple you know, the, over the past year or two happened uh, to Pittsburgh in a year or two from now, where it's, they're going to have to have a soft rebuild where it's like some of their players are just too good from really tearing it down. But at some point you need to just strip the rest of the team so that, yeah, unfortunately, you're going to have the Taves and Kane and Keith there. In this case, would be Letang, Malkin, and Crosby. But in two or three years, you just got to hope that uh, uh, you know if you strip, if you sell the rest of the team off, those three guys still aren't going to be good enough to just get you where you need to go. And that's how you're going to get more guys to to bring this next wave in.
1: I think. Yeah, I can see that. The problem is, they just have so many bad depth contracts. Like their longest contracts all suck. Basically. Yeah, except for the yeah, Crosby it's not great. one, you're obviously like, just never going to complain about the Crosby one. But like, like the I think Matthews
0: you could. If he, I don't. Yeah, the Matheson deal is horrible. That's that's tough. But like, if you wanted to sell one, well, I don't think you would sell John Marino. I think he's someone you keep through a rebuild at 23 years old. You know, like, but yeah, Brandon Tanner's is another bad one. You're probably just gonna have to chew on that. But again, like, if we're saying they're gonna have to start rebuilding, say. season and they're going to be bad for three years the Tanev and Marino deals and even the Gensel deal are all they're going to probably be up by the time they try and swing around again I know this is years into the future but still
1: yeah I guess they're not they're not the end of the world they just make it look so much uglier because this team has so little flexibility and in a world with a much more rational GM there's your flexibility and it's not there
0: yeah, exactly. I think this team is going to be in some, for some rough years. Like literally I can see just about what's happening in Chicago right now, just in a couple of years when, um, you know, 37 year old Crosby is more like 32 year old uh, Taves was right.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's a, The party is going to end eventually. It's basically just the, up to the new GM to decide how early. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, I don't know. I, I I think I would still go for it this year.
0: If I, if I'm a GM, you know, like it's tough because again, they, they don't have much flexibility, but like if you just sell the farm for this year again and just go, okay, one more year, we're really going to go all in. We really need an upgrade on some of our depth forwards here and you pick up another, like a Kasperi and type or two or whatever, you know, at the deadline. Like, I don't know where those guys are coming from, but there's always guys available. Like Anthony DeClaire, let's say, if if the Panthers drop out. Um, you know, a name like that, right? You pick up a couple of those guys and suddenly your depth looks a little better. You got to take a shot, I think, again, just with this core, because this this really could be the final year.
1: Yeah, you definitely have to take a shot again. And all you have to do is find scoring wingers for like the third line. And all oh, of a sudden, it looks way, way better. Like, it's not yeah, a particularly difficult process.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, you just got to find some okay guys that are, you know, like that can fill in, just kind of help what you have. You know, even like claiming Tyler Ennis, I thought would it, like someone like that would be a helpful move for your fourth line. But, um, you know, so I, I definitely think I, if I was the GM taking over here, I would probably go for it for at least, you know, this one more year and then reevaluate where you are in the offseason.
1: Yeah, in the summer, especially because you don't have your first-round pick, so you might as well just go for it.
0: Yeah, like yeah, you're, you're so lacked this year, anyways. It's uh, let's just go all in and co- commit to it. Let's don't don't go half. Like that. That's what I'm trying to say is, if you're gonna tear it down, tear it down, whatever. But um, if you're not gonna tear it down, don't do the stupid thing where it's like, well, we want we like what we have, so we're gonna kind of be the twelfth best team for cup odds and get eliminated in the first or second round. You know.
1: Yeah. Like you're, you're pot committed right now, just do it. And then if you want to rebuild, do it next year.
0: Yep, exactly. That would, that's my thoughts too. Um, know, a couple
1: other things that
0: we have to talk about this week, uh, more games being postponed because of COVID, uh, Vegas had an outbreak with their coaching staff to the point where they isolated their entire coaching staff and their GM was a coach, uh, for a game. And, um, their uh, AHL coaches came up and coached for a game as well. Um, and then unfortunately there was more positive tests after that game, which is a little scary. Um, and now they have had to shut down their, their games. They just canceled two more games against the San Jose Sharks on February 1st and 3rd. So those will need to be rescheduled. Uh, it's again, like we talked about this last week too. I, I get it. I think it's the safest and smartest thing to try and stop these, but you know, you look at the schedule, uh, Florida is going to have to play 54 games in 108 days. Tampa's playing 52 in 104. Uh, Dallas is playing 51 in 103. I think it's all those teams have to play an unnecessary amount of games in uh, a very short amount of days. And that's going to, it's going to start compounding the schedule for teams like Vegas now too. And um, you know, with the NHL, there's no way around it. If you can't stop the the spread before it happens, you know, the taxi squad is great in theory. It, it's, the taxi squad is great for a Washington scenario where you can isolate and track exactly who they've been by and you go, screw it, we're suspending those four guys for 14 days, right? But it doesn't work when there's already been an outbreak and it's spreading and now, you know, like St. Louis is still playing games. What if during that Vegas and St. Louis game, one of the St. Louis players got it and now whoever they play is going to be spread? You know, it's just like it's one of those things where it's worrying. It's
1: worrisome. Yeah. And then this is obviously not the biggest concern, but when you mention the schedule, say St. Louis gets a bunch of cases, well that compounds your future scheduling problems even farther, right?
0: Yeah. And it's not like they, you know, have a, have a big gap to work with here either. So, um, you know, we, we hope that everything, everyone's okay. And, you know, they don't have to postpone too many more games, but if, if they, if it keeps racking up like this, you know, I don't know what you do because, uh, it's going to be a tight end, and I, I think there are people preparing that. You know, I know in the NBA it's the same thing. People are preparing that uh, at the end of the year it might just be down to win percentage by a couple of games. You know, baseball did it this year. Um, they know Not everyone played the same amount of games. They they got as close as they could, and then pretty much if it didn't matter, it didn't matter. But, um, you know, there, there might be a scenario where some teams finished with 56 games played and, and some people finished with 52, and it gets down to points percentage, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. So. It's it's looking more and more all like even though it's this early like that's a very very real possibility. Yeah, um so um
0: Kevin Fiala had a suspension, three games uh for his hit on Matt Roy. This is a bad one. This is uh this is an ugly one, dude. Um if if you haven't seen it, uh, it's online. It's Pretty much, Roy goes back to get the puck, and it's just like a textbook disgusting hit from a minor hockey game. Um, just face first, straighten the board, straighten the numbers from about two feet away. Just one of the most dangerous hits you see in hockey. and And something that I think, generally speaking, has been out of the game more and more recently, which is good, but something you used to see five or six years ago all the time, and just disgusting every time you saw it. Yep, exactly.
1: Like, it's the kind of hit that's, like, straight out of a Matt Cook, Tom Wilson playbook, and it's really weird seeing Kevin Fiala do it.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, when I saw Kevin Fiala suspended for hitting Matt Roy and not the other way around, I was uh, uh, pretty surprised. And then I watched the replay. I was like, geez, that is brutal. Um, He got five in a game for the play, rightfully so, and then three more tagged on. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a fair amount of games for what – player safety normally does you know like again i would never have an issue if this suddenly became six or seven games um but i don't think that's realistic in the nhl you know so for what the the parameters are i think it's three is much better than if they would have just handed them one that would have been
1: cowardly yeah i'm glad they upped it a little bit i would also be more than happy for this to go up in games because there's really no need for this hit
0: No, it's just a stupid hit all the way through. You can see that it's going to be bad all the way through. It's just, you just, you don't need that kind of, like, there's no place for it in the game,
1: simply put. Yeah, exactly. It adds no value to anyone. Nobody's watching hockey for that kind of a hit.
0: No, and it's like, you know, sometimes the guy kind of turns at the last second, and, and those, it's like, People defend, oh, you can't turn like that. Well, yes, you can. It's still on the player, but those I understand why, and maybe it's more closer to one or two games. He literally was just riding his numbers the entire way in and put them straight from the the shoulder slash numbers, straight head first into the board. So that is bad. You know, if if that could be five games or whatever, I would be very happy with that because there, there's just no no reason to, to throw that hit.
1: Yeah, exactly. That yeah, there's nothing good about it. No, not at all. Um, uh, yeah,
0: we, we need to get into it. I, I was going back and forth about a whileer, I want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it too much, but I, I think it's, you know, um, we need to talk about the barstool stuff this week. Uh, if anyone missed it, uh, you know, the NWHLs in a bubble at Lake Placid uh, for this week doing their season. Everyone plays five games. Unfortunately, they had to have a team pull to COVID, the Metropolitan Riv- uh, Riveters which is unfortunate to see but um the hockey's been really good. The Toronto Six have a team in there. Uh and they played some exciting games including blowing a four goal lead to a Bo- no, not to a Boston team, to an other team. They beat a Boston team the night uh, the night after but um uh there was a not great stuff this week I guess is how I would put it. Uh with Barstool pretty much um there was a bunch of uh, women who cover uh, um, women's hockey and the NWHL. They do a great job of it. And there's a bunch of them that tweeted out pretty fairly, in my opinion, the, uh, the NWHL wants to promote inclusivity. Um, they should not be partnering with Barstool. They don't need Barstool. Um, grow their game on their own. And uh, Barstool decided to take this. And they went, you know, you know how Barstool always gets uh, – um, their biggest thing is they just – they put names out there so that their, their massive fan base of uh, – Dude bros can go harass people, and then they wonder why they get uh, made fun of. Well, they did exactly that. They posted all the people's names complaining. The at their C, I don't know what her name is, or what her position is, COO or whatever. Um, uh, she posted a bunch of names of the people complaining, and guess what? There was a bunch of harassment online because of it, and then Barstool wonders why they're trash. Uh, I, I, I don't. There's not much me and Chase can say, I feel like, from we're two white dudes doing a hockey podcast. Like it doesn't get more. And we, every time a diversity issue comes up, we have to clarify with this because it doesn't get less diverse than us. Right. But at the same time that still doesn't make it right and it shouldn't have been on the only black uh, female or not only but one of the only female black hockey players out there to call out the stuff too because she really stood up and said this is not uh, we're not accepting this from barstool and that really led the league and it was uh, it was similar to what the you know happened in the nhl with vander kane starting the 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 movement there too so um i I don't know I, i feel like you know i wanted to touch on it because it's important but uh it's um, always screw Barstool, you know, like that. that's the biggest, the, the, the NWHL
1: doesn't need Barstool. Yeah, it was a very classic Barstool thing where they, like, you know exactly what you're doing when you're posting the video of all the people calling out Barstool. You know, you this has happened time and time again. They call the people out and then all their fans go attack them. But then for whatever reason, their comeback to that is always well, all we did was make this video. We didn't say for anybody to attack anyone, but it's like, you you know exactly what you're doing.
0: Oh, yeah. Posting those, posting those usernames, you, that's exactly what you wanted. And, um, like you're begging for it.
1: Yes. For exactly, exactly
0: that. Oh, yeah. You, you want it so, so badly. And, uh, um, it's the CEO of Barstool, Erica Nardini is her name, I believe. And, um, you know, the Barstool thing is always, um, Oh yeah, we're we're so sexist, because, uh, you know. We have three girls leading our or three women leading our company. Sorry, um, you know, along with Dave Portnoy, and it's like, well, yeah, you still have like a ton of sexual harassment claims against your company, and it's like, they're like, and the 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 newest thing is just like, anytime you make fun of Barstool, people go, oh yeah, they're raising millions for small businesses right now, but they're so bad, right? It's like, well, yeah, like just because you do that doesn't erase all the other shitty things you do when people bring them up and your response to that is, I'm uncancelable," Like, like there's there's literally videos of Dave Portnoy just saying the N-word over and over again. And you know what people's reason... I posted this online and someone responded to me saying, well, he's just rapping a, a music video and saying someone else's dialogue. I was like, neither of those two good... Neither of those are good
1: reasons to use that word. There's no good reason. Yeah, it's always... Funny is the wrong word because, of course, it's really, really bad. But when people try to defend saying the N-word, it's like, you've no idea how easy it is to just not say the N-word. It's it's not a complex thing to do. Like, you're taught it when you're, like, four years old. The first time you hear the word, your parents are like, you will never, ever say that word. And then you just don't say it. You skip over it. You do a little pause when it comes on in the song or if you're singing along or whatever like it's not a difficult thing to do
0: yeah like yeah you wrap you a different word in there or something you know like what whatever, whatever the cleave version has it's just it's really it's like yeah it's one of those things where uh there's just no reason for it there's no um and you know uh, it's it's one of the things where yes the small business fund or whatever is great that, that's awesome but um doing one good thing doesn't cancel out a bunch of shitty actions, especially when you don't see, you don't at all want to care about, you know, the uh, saying sorry for those shitty, they they don't care at all. You bring them up and they go, don't try and cancel us. And um, you know, so, so anyone who, if that's your response,
1: uh, stop it, you know, like I I don't want to hear it. Um, Yeah. we talk about this in DMS too, or with the charity argument where it's like, ted bundy worked at like a suicide hotline and if somebody's like a bad person it doesn't mean they spend all their day going around like kicking puppies yeah exactly like you know and
0: it, it's just it's one of those things where it's like yeah like bad people can do good things and you know we should be happy for those good things but at the same time that doesn't mean that we should stop saying okay hey, these are still bad people that need to be held accountable and and that's kind of the scenario here um if we want to take a more positive light on it, I don't know about you, but I've been trying to watch a couple of the, the, the women's games and they've been really entertaining, you know, good hockey. Um, uh They're all on Twitch. If anyone wants to watch them, uh, they're, they're starting. And I think the semis and the finals are on NBC in early February here too. So um, it's good hockey. If anyone wants to, you know, tune in and watch. And uh, the Twitch channel is really cool too. You know, JT Brown, uh, who's a Twitch streamer himself and obviously, um, uh, a person of color playing hockey. Uh, he donated, I think it was like a, a hundred subs or something like that, which is a ton of money that actually goes like straight to the, the, the league or whatever. So, so that's really good too. Um, and it, it helps other people interact. So, um, yeah, check it out. Like it, it's, it's good hockey. Uh, I should, I don't need to say that, but if you're on the fence and, you know, especially on, you know, nights like tonight we're recording and there's literally no NHL hockey on, there was none Wednesday either. Uh, yeah, g- g- give it a shot because it's, it, it's good, Good hockey. Like you you'll be entertained.
1: So yeah, I and Twitch is a perfect partner because it's very, very accessible.
0: Yep. It's a free download for everyone. And you know, you can if you want to donate, you can donate through the app, but you don't have to. It's it's free watch. And uh they just got Discover as a partner, which like apparently I'm reading it's like their biggest partner ever. And there's reports out there that it might increase every player's salary by like forty to fifty percent just from that one partner.
1: Yeah, that was new today, right?
0: Yep. Yep. Uh, Just came today. And so that's awesome news. You know, it's really good news. Um, I know the NWHL's had its, had its uh, issues and and whatnot. I don't know. Like I, I'm trying to find the right way to say it, but they've had their issues getting going and stuff like that. Right. But uh, um, it's, it's good to see, um, not not getting going, but you know, there, there's the payer payment. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm stumbling on my words here. Player payment issue from a couple years ago, and and just you know the whole stuff with the CWHL and stuff like that too. But it's good to see them, you know, big pick up a big sponsor and also just um, you know continue with this tournament. Hopefully, there doesn't need to be any more dropouts uh, from what there already is. And, you know, there's more games on Saturday, uh, Sunday and Monday as well, if you're interested in watching. So, uh, and then the, the semi start and then on, I want to say it's the second or the third, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like we need we need to bring it up. It's not, uh, not something that's fun to talk about, but it's a lot less fun for other people that are out there dealing with harassment and stuff like that. And uh, the other thing I want to say quick was congratulate, or not congratulate, it's the wrong word, but, Uh, I I have tremendous respect for the people who have to go through that shit every day and still manage to be a great part of, you know, hockey communities because I can't imagine how tough that would be.
1: God, it would just be so tiring.
0: Yeah, like, I mean, I get tired from dealing with one or two people I think is an idiot, let alone people who are, like, sexually harassing and, and, you know, just calling names or, you know, way worse than that. You know, there's horror stories of, like, I've heard of people say, I hope you get raped, and it's like, overcovering a hockey, it's like, come on you know like be better than that but um yes so uh it's got to change and it's good that you know we're seeing change and I'm glad the NWHL stepped up and said no we don't need you guys because it could have been uh really easy for them to just take the money and run right so
1: yeah well because it's everybody was kind of like oh the NWHL is better off without Barstool and like there are a large portion of fans that would be really pissed off by that. But like, if we're being honest part partnering with the couple billion dollar company would probably help your sales. And it's a good thing that they said no to it because it's very easy to not complain about the multi-billion dollar company.
0: Oh, absolutely. Especially with a hardcore fan base that'll do exactly whatever they say because they're slaves, you know? And, um, again, it's money over, uh, uh, it's money versus um, character, and they chose character. And that's awesome, you know. Um, to the point where I think they definitely gain fans because I've tried to, you know, just watching what's happened. I, I'm making it a, you know, I want to try and watch as many of the games remaining as I can. Um, so, uh, and and they're getting more coverage too, you know. Like they, I saw the highlights were on Sportsnet too, so so that's good. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't have much more to say than that. Other than support women's hockey, watch women's hockey. Um, uh, I don't I don't really have much more for the week either. Do you? No, I don't think so. I was gonna go through some early trends, but uh, we've been almost an hour already, so I I think we're probably good this week. Uh, We'll we'll get to some more trends next week and uh, talk about what's happening. Hopefully, there's a little more news, and um, you know, this week was a big news week actually. You know, considering it was only seven days since we last recorded. But yeah, it wasn't very big news week on the main highway. I'm not sure you guys probably heard that. I don't know. Someone just gave the horn calling, calling by my house. Um, anyways, thank you all for listening. Uh, Chase and I will be back with you next week. Uh, we might have a guest. Uh, I know we said we we're going to try and do one every three or third or fourth week, so uh, we'll talk about that. But, again, if there's anyone you want to hear, give us a shout. You can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. Uh, you can find our work at LastWordOnHockey.com. I know Chase said he should have an article coming out soonish, right?
1: Yeah, I'm starting to work on one
0: now. Actually, or yeah. Today. So uh, probably watch for that to go out around February first or so. I would assume February second, maybe. Um, you can find my other work at MileHighHockey.com as well, um, and uh, you can find my other podcast, Last Word on Sense Podcast, anywhere you listen to this as well. So uh, thank you everyone for listening, and I uh, hope you have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week.